What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine. Happy freaking Monday. I hope you all had a wonderful weekend. I am finally home. I've been traveling for the past two weeks for work, and I tell you what, as fun as it is to go out and travel and be around, it is there is something to be said about coming home and hopping in your own bed and relaxing for the weekend. So thankful to be home, and uh, I'm ready to uh, kind of kick this week in the teeth. So I'm excited. This episode with Jess is spectacular. She's a super cool lady, very energetic, and had a lot of good information to share. So I'm super excited for everybody to uh, kind of deep dive into this. Before we get started, for those of you maybe uh, jumping in for the first time, you know, I know that I publish every other week at this point. So uh, just as a refresher, my goal with this podcast is summed up as growth through story, strength through community. So what I mean by that, you know, kind of like I've said in the past, is I, I record or I interview folks really on their life story. My hope is uh, is really to have them share with us, um, share with me, I guess us, all of it, collectively us, right? Um, kind of how they got to where they're at, the decisions that they've made, the life that they've lived, kind of what their life story has looked like that has shaped them, shaped them into the person that they are now. Uh, both the good, bad, the ugly, the fun, the scary, the hard, the tough. And uh, all in the vein of hopefully getting you guys either some information that you might not otherwise have heard, relating to somebody in a particular way, maybe finding a new uh, course of action for your life, or uh, in some instances, finding um, some way to get help or a community to join in on, right? Um, But it's crazy because I feel that a lot of these folks that I've interviewed have figured out some little tidbits of life to maximize what it is that they're getting out of their their life experience. So I'm excited. That's kind of my goal. It's more of an 80-20 in that I do my best to um, have the uh, interviewee do most of the talking because I am genuinely interested in what they have to share um, and asking sometimes some surface level questions and depending on the individual, some deeper questions to really kind of uh, dive into their their personality, their story, and uh, again, all hopefully trying to get some good information back to you. So that being said, I've also been extremely fortunate, A, to have connected with a lot of folks like Jess, but also to have been uh, working with a couple of companies um, over the past, uh, shoot, almost two years now. Um, really to help get connected and provide some good uh, some good quality product to you. So one of them is actually Eberly Stock. The boys at Eberly Stock have been amazing to me over the past several years. I've worked with them in a variety of capacities. So one, I can articulate that they are a phenomenal company to begin with and great humans. But also, I have used a ton of their product over the past couple of years for hunting, fishing, um, getting ready. Uh, I was actually just left the gym. I just got back, sat down editing this episode. And... Uh, did a did a nice little ruck with 70 pounds on the uh, you know variable treadmill so kind of getting up into kind of just working my way to get my sea legs back for hunting season backpacking all that stuff I've got kind of some bum ligaments from my dumb shenanigans doing bull riding and other dumb stuff so can't really lift very well at the moment I probably shouldn't at all but that's neither here nor there. So what I'm saying though is that they make quality product whether you're looking for a new hunting frame um, for packing in and out or if you're looking for some EDC stuff. I've got some of the bandits uh, that I use. They're uh, they're little bandits which are their day packs that are just phenomenal. They're the perfect size. They've got the clamshell opening so you can get to the bottom of the bag without having to really kind of pull everything out to get to, I don't know, your water, your snacks, uh, your parka, whatever the case may be um, at the bottom of the bag. But also you know, like I said, I've been traveling the past two weeks and I've been living out of my uh, my F7 kite. And I swear this is like my favorite bag because it is, there are no frills. It is nothing to it. It's just got the shoulder harness, a front opening bag with a roll top so it can expand, which is super convenient. So I lived out of that thing for two weeks 
and it is spectacular. So um, if you need anything, reach out to the guys at Eberly Stock. Uh, give them a call. Uh, the uh, phone number is in the episode description. Um, and let them know the Vanguard Project sent you, the Vanguard Project podcast. And uh, get, uh, get, get hooked up. Get ready to go because sooner it'll come faster than you think. It'll be time to get out, go backpacking, fishing, hunting, all that good stuff. It's coming up quick. So um, without further ado, please like, subscribe, rate to the show, and we're going to kick off a baller episode. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine. I'm excited because I just learned that I got JB's debut uh, of her podcast <laughs> shenanigans. So I'm excited because I followed you for a little bit. This is our first time really interacting. It so totally is. <laughs> I'm excited to kind of see where this conversation goes, but I don't want to take your intro away. And uh, if you don't mind, maybe just kicking it off a little bit and uh, with your short burst, like you were saying, I'll try not to interrupt, but we'll ask questions and get to know you. Okay, so hi, I'm Jess, everybody. Nice to meet you. I am a physician assistant. I've been doing this job for almost seven years. A little bit of a backstory. I grew up in a small suburban neighborhood. I spent seven years in the military. Um, I went to college in my state at UMass. Um, I got out of the Navy in 2018. I started doing some contracting work, which was awesome, and then came back to the civilian sector and started working on a doctoral program. Okay, I'm taking notes because that's a lot. So maybe, I know. yeah, it's gonna, it's sweet though. I'm excited. So kind of like I was saying, one of my hopes here, right, is to kind of tell the story of, of kind of how you started to where you're at now, really yeah. in the vein of getting people to maybe tap into some of the lessons that you've learned, kind of the decisions that you've made so that if they're like sure. waffling, they can kind mm -hmm. of leverage it too. So if we start all the way in the beginning, why, what yeah. led you down the path of the Navy? You know, if you're growing up suburban neighborhood, to me, that seems like you wouldn't necessarily have to join the military. Um, right. So I guess, was that a decision for you? Were you like drawn to it in a particular way? So I am an only child. Um, my parents, unfortunately, suffered uh, numerous miscarriages. So I was kind of it. So as a kid, my mom would try to hand me dresses like, Hey honey, play dress up in this beautiful gown. And I would beg her to wear my dad's Navy uniforms. So day one, as a little kid, as soon as I could put clothes on, I remember like grabbing my dad's military uniforms. He was a Navy and the CB. Uh, both of my grandfathers were also Navy. One was an aircraft mechanic. The other one was an engine man. Um, and so I grew up loving it. It was all that I wanted. I remember one of my earliest vivid memories, I got on a school bus and my mom told me that I couldn't take my dad's uniform to school. So I took his little green CV shirt and I packed it up in my backpack and I stuffed it in and I wore it all day. I thought I was the coolest kid on the block. So I think it was at a very young age. It was the only thing I ever wanted to do. That's awesome. So right? do, you, do you know, I guess, kind of if you were to dig a little bit deeper into it, what yeah. about it? Uh, what about the Navy, the CV, you know, shirt, the uniform, all of it that, mm -hmm. that sung to you, I guess you could say. I, and you know, it's crazy because I don't think anything, I have this big tattoo on my back. It says rocked in the cradle of the deep, which the poem was about like the ocean chooses you, you don't choose it. And it's like, it almost felt like that. I didn't, I don't feel like I ever had that moment where it was like, why do I want to do this? It just happened. It was just innately in me. I, I don't know. It's crazy. And yeah. it never went away. Never, ever. So then never. when, uh, when you joined 
the uh, so I guess maybe the next question is is that when you yeah. kind of went through high school and everything, never went away, <laughs> right? You continued want continued yeah. to want to do it. Did you enlist straight out of high school or did you go to college first? So this is funny. I wanted to enlist out of high school and every year during college. And my dad kept saying that I was too much of a bitch to join as an enlisted sailor. (laughs) And so he told me that I had to go and be an officer because I would never make it. And so my mom and I had kind of a tumultuous relationship. I love her now. She's the reason I'm successful, but I had a tumultuous relationship with my mom. So we'd fight and I'd be like, dad, I'm joining the Navy. And he's like, no, you're not. You're such a bitch. It's never going to (laughs) happen. So (laughs) I was in college. I finished college and my grandfather and my grandmother both had passed away. And I was like, what am I doing with my life? I'm kind of like, I'm kind of a degenerate. I'm useless. I was drinking, partying, like living my best life. And um, ironically, I got an email from the Navy and it was like, hey, do you want to join? Like be a medical officer? And I was like, fuck yeah, I'm going to join the Navy. Like, fuck you guys. I'm doing this. And so (laughs) I did it. And I didn't tell my parents until I was getting ready to commission. I just didn't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that went over really well. My dad was proud as all ever. He was happier than a pig and shit. And my mom kept looking at him like, are you sure this is a good idea? Are you sure this is good? And my dad's like, that's right. Any kid of mine is going to join the military. So my dad was stoked. He was definitely stoked. That's funny. So an interesting question. This is one that I had to, I bounced a little bit when I was in college, right? Is uh, you've got different, you've got parents that have on different sides of the coin, right? As always, Mm -hmm. one of you, one of them might be super stoked. The other super nervous. How did you handle that as a kid right out of college? Like in regards to what, like my, yeah, joining the military. So I've always wanted to make my dad proud. Right. So although I was a single child and like I grew up in suburban America, I had like no needs or wants. Right. But my dad, I didn't know this until I graduated college. Actually, my dad didn't graduate high school. So he quit high school and my mom had to go to GED classes with him. Right. So he worked seven days a week. He's a contractor, like manual labor. And he just was definitely like what a parent should be. Right. Like he showed me what I wanted to be like. And so I just, I think I just wanted to make him proud. And like, no matter how smart I was in school, like he never, like that wasn't it for him. Right. It was like what I was contributing to society and how hard I was working. And so I think the fact that he was just in that moment, so innately proud, it was like, literally, I was like walking on cloud nine. It was the best thing ever. I loved it. That's yeah, awesome. He was really proud. So yep. that's funny. I like that. It's nice to hear like there's the level of support from family, right? Because some people like you totally. hear, I'm a piece of shit, whatever. You know, I was fortunate, similar to you, never heard that. But also it's like, man, who am I in this world too, right? Um, yeah. Now, you mentioned that you, and these are your words, I wrote it down, that you were degenerate, yep. useless drinking post and in college. Totally was. Okay. Mm-hmm. Was that, now this is, this is again a question in the vein of like, if somebody feels yeah. the same way or acting the same way, was that just like you being you know, you didn't really give a shit about anything or were you going down a different path than you'd hoped for? So my mom was super strict, like super strict down to like picking my friends. Like it was crazy. Like I was in marching band. I was a nerd. Like I was not the cool kid in school. And I think getting to college was a little bit of freedom, you know, like it was Mm -hmm. a little bit of freedom to do whatever I wanted. And so I became super rebellious. It was almost like, fuck you. I'm going to do this because I can. And then I started not doing on school. So I had a a terrible GPA. I was initially, I initially wanted to be a physical therapy major and couldn't because my GPA was so low. Um, And then I kind of got sifted into like being a lab tech. So that was what was open at the point. So I took it and I slowly but steadily like just had to increase my GPA to be able to even like function, you know? So it, it was more 
it was more in the sense that I was really just trying to rebel against the lack of childhood that I had because my mom had such high expectations of like what I should be. And I just, at that point, like being a 16 or 17 year old kid, like I wasn't ready for it. Yeah. I wanted to be me. You wanted to be, okay. So then how did you, wanted to be me. How, how did you take and direct that back? So I'm trying to think of how I want to ask this question. So if you're kind of yeah. rebelling to a certain extent, but want to be a physician's mm-hmm. assistant, right? I've, I've met friends that have gone down that path and it is no joke, right? It's not, it how, is no joke. How did you kind of rally yourself back into it to be productive and successful? So my mom, a million years ago, had what's called an amniotic fluid embolism. So my mom was pregnant um, and the amniotic sac ruptured and my mom went into a coma and my sister passed away. <clears throat> so my grandmother pretty much raised me. So, you know, fast forward 20 something years, this was like the one person I relied on for everything and she got cancer. And at that point, I just, I felt so helpless. Like, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to take care of her. I didn't know what it meant. And I, I just didn't want to be that anymore. So as terrible as it sounds, it was like that one small ounce of, wanting to be better that just like propelled my entire life, you know? And at the same time, I had a really great mentor who basically said like, whatever you want in this life, if you work hard enough, I will help you. And he stood true to that. I mean, he, as soon as I expressed interest in being a PA, he sent me to uh, UNE, which is the school that I went to, to um, kind of explore the campus. He always pushed for me and lobbied for me when my teacher thought I was not going to succeed. I was probably the last person my school thought was going to succeed, but he just, he pushed me so hard. And it was like every ounce that he gave me, I took it and I ran. It was just like, I didn't, I didn't want to be that person anymore. Like I had to do something better with my life. Hmm. So mentors to me are an interesting thing. Right. Yeah. I feel like they're very hard to find, hard to find somebody that you trust and can rely right? on. How did you identify this mentor or how did they pick you? By sheer luck. Yeah. I got assigned to him in advising and I showed up and he, he was older. I mean, he, he recently passed away actually two years ago. Um, he was an older man. I actually failed his anatomy class the first time that I took it ironically. <laughs> and so I remember he like leaned back in his chair and he crossed his arms and he's like, well, you're a disaster. So you're going to have to figure your life out. And I looked at him like, are you genuinely saying this to me like can you say this like can you say this as my advisor and I looked at him like open mouth like Jesus Christ you're like the most intimidating person I've ever met and I don't know what it was but we just clicked it was like that tough love that I needed at the exact moment that I needed it it was sheer luck and I tell you he's the reason I did my doctoral program he's the reason I got into PA school he white coated me at my white coat ceremony every major aspect of my life that man was present until the day that he passed away that's awesome yep okay that's super cool. It's funny. I love, I love, I love tough love. Now there was a period of time yeah. where I, I hated it, but now I meet more Great. people and get older and you're like, don't butter things up. Just fucking say it as it is. And we'll Agreed. Get done yeah. And I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. Like just be who you say you are. My boss in Baghdad said that all the time. I don't care who you are. Just be who you say you are. And I think that has resonated with me, you know, from being deployed because it's like maybe before deployment, I wavered on who I was. And now mm-hmm. it's just like, just be the person you say you are. Like yeah. if you're a shitty person, who gives a shit? Just, just be a shitty just person. Like, you know, just be a shitty person. Like <laughs> just tell people you're shitty. <laughs> That's awesome. So I, I wanna th- I think that we might have bounced around a little bit in the story, but I'm not sure, right? Or the timeline of things. So you yeah. met do you met did you meet this mentor in, in college? Sophomore in college. Sophomore. Sophomore okay, college. so we're following track. Yep. Good then. Okay. Yep. Okay. So as you get through college and everything, kind of get life mm-hmm. back on track, right? Is yep. the Navy still something that's sticking out to you? 
So I actually, but when I expressed interest in PA school, my mentor was like, well, you sucked at undergrad. So now you're going to have to do a master's program to like unfuck your life. So I signed up for what's called like a BSMS program. So I stayed for an extra year and a half. Um, and during that time, so it was like, I had just started my master's program. I got this poof random email because I had joined the pre-med club at school. Like, Hey, do you want to join the military? And so I'm like, huh? wonder if I qualify. So I sent my resume and, you know, lab medical technologists, lab techs are actually on the list that the military really like, it's Needs. hard to find lab techs. Yeah. And so they had a reserve position open and I was like, okay, I guess like I'll apply for this. So I just applied for it. Huh. And that's how you got it. So is that, so the yeah. lab tech that you got was reserved. So you technically, yep. I mean, walk me, walk me through what that looks like. Cause I'm not entirely sure. So I spent six months, I spent only six months in the reserves. The story gets even better. So okay. the guy, um, the person who like sent out the email was not my actual recruiter. He was, um, it, he ended up becoming a very close friend. The actual recruiter that recruited me, my dad was doing work on his mother's house. So after I get recruited, you know, my dad, of course, comes to my commissioning ceremony, meets my recruiter and realizes like, oh, we have mutual friends in common. So six months later, I get an email from my recruiter and he was like, hey, Jess, um, we have an opening at the maybe recruiting command for an officer, medical officer recruiter. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, fuck yes, I'm interested. Like, it's easy. It's in Boston. I get to live with my best friend. Like, I get to stay where I want. And then I just picked up a two-year active duty contract recruiting. So basically, I like, quit being a lab tech to just go be a recruiter. My first tour, I didn't even know how to put my uniform on. I wore my name tag on the wrong side, like the entire first <laughs> month of my job. So when you started, was it was it what you wanted it to be then? I mean, were you able to... I hated first... the reserves. Okay. All right. I hated the reserves. It was terrible. I would show up and like, again, like I am... Um, not the easiest person to get along with self-admittedly. And I am, I'm very opinionated and people, I have toned it down a lot over the past 15 years of my life, but initially I really struggled. I struggled fitting in. I struggled fitting in the reserve. I struggled. Like, you know, I had no like respect of authority, obviously. I mean, like who does at that age, like you're new to this. Right. And I just like, didn't know. And I don't know how to do anything half-ass. Like, it's just not me. So the reserves, like it felt almost half-ass. Like I show up for one week in the month and then I go home. Like it just like, it didn't vibe with me. Okay. So you know? then, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, so then how did you translate that back into finishing masters, then going back mm -hmm. active duty? What is that? <laughs> so I was doing my masters while I was recruiting yep. and then I did really well in recruiting. I'm like all about making connections and networking and stuff. And I just met a lot of the right people. So I expressed interest in wanting to be a PA or thinking about wanting to be a PA. And the program manager actually called me, like program manager of all of Navy PAs called me. And he's like, look it, tell me about yourself. And I told him, and he was like, if you want a scholarship, it's, it's yours. So I applied, I had to go through that, that application process. So I applied and it was funny, my best friend and um, I worked with a corpsman who to this day lives very deep in my heart. He actually, um, he's a bad bitch. So he was in either Iraq or Afghan. And um, so I, again, like joining, sorry, we're going off on the side, no, side, side tangent, but applying, applying to the, like to the PA program, right. It was hard. It's like, what do you write about? And so I sat next to this little HM one and he like, he's Russian. So like, he like, doesn't like talk much. Right. So my chief is like, Hey, you know, like he's a bad motherfucker. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, yeah, he has like a uh, um, Navy achievement medal with a valor on it. I'm like, what the fuck is that? Like, who cares? That's not yeah. cool. And he's like, no, like the dude got blown, blown up as an E2 
over in E3, like in Iraq or Afghan, he, his best friend lost a leg with like my corpsman, like ran after the guy in a minefield and like dragged his ass out to the point, like this kid can walk. Right. Yeah. And he's like, if you want to be a PA, like that's what this is. Like they came off of Navy corpsman, like that's it. So the day I got into my scholarship program, he called me and he's like with my best friend, Leah, who just actually retired. The two of them called and they're like, congratulations, you got your scholarship. Like I was out of recruiting at that point, And it was like, just the best moment. Like the two of them, like I couldn't have asked for like the, a better way to learn that I got in was from the two of them. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. And so, I wrote my PA essay on him on my first class. I wrote my PA essay on like why I wanted to be a PA based off of him. Oh, I bet that was like the most humbling experience too. You know what it was? It's like I, at 22 years old, I thought I was hot shit. I oh, thought, yeah. granted, I was like, I was, you know, a little chubby, like not living my best life. Like couldn't figure life out, but I thought I knew it all. And so for me, I walked in like, yeah, you suck, you suck, you suck. And it was like all these people who were bad motherfuckers, like in post 9-11. I mean, like they are like the real deal. And I just had no idea what I was sitting amongst. I hate to say it, but it's like, I look back and I'm like, I took every moment of that for granted. I got a lot of life lessons. I still talk to almost all of them, but I just took that for granted, you know? Yeah. So here's one of my favorite questions. And this seems like the right time to ask it up until this point. And I'll probably ask the same Mm -hmm. question again, up until this point, right. Meeting this guy, just getting in interviewing, writing about him. What would you say has been the most amazing thing that you've learned to that point? And whether that's related to him, just the experience in general, right? That's my well, one of my favorite loaded questions because yeah. it's wild, some of the answers. Yeah. So the best thing that I've learned is be who you say you are. Be a good person. Ask questions. You know, Learn about people that you work with because if, if you don't go out of your way to learn about them, then they're not going to learn about you, you know? And it's like you'll never form that bond with somebody if you don't try. If you don't try to talk to them or try to get to know them, you know, it's, it's important. One of my mentors always said this, it's important to know like what their kids are like, what their kids' names are. Hey, you know, I know your kid's birthday is today. Like it's those small things that form that genuine relationship with another person. And I think that's when I learned it. Like just be a good person, ask questions, be interested in other people, care more about other people than yourself. And like, you'll get anything you want. Yeah. Did you sense like a change in your own demeanor from that point forward? Like, did you notice like, Hey, no, no longer, no, same person. <laughs> nope. 2018 when I, or not 2018, 2020, when I went to Baghdad is probably the person that I am is when that changed. Okay. I don't think okay. up until then I was the same person up until that point. Okay. Okay. So leading into that point then, so you've get this scholarship, you start working through yep. your master's program. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, did you, and I don't know how this works, right? So did you leave recruiting straight away, start going to the master's program? So loaded question. So I actually, so I had taken a bonus as a lab tech. So I had to actually defer my scholarship program and my PA program. Okay. So I ended recruiting in the summer of uh, 2011, 2012, 2013. I don't know, whatever, some summer, some, some summer I ended. Um, And PA school didn't start until 2014. So it had to be 2013. So I took a, I got out of recruiting. And I went back to the reserves for a year and then lived another ridiculous life. So I went to the Marshall Islands as a lab tech for four months. I lived in Kwajalein Atoll, Marshall Islands for four months. Yep. I came back and then was the department head at Naval Health Clinic New England for their lab. So I took that gap billet and then I went to PA school. So are you applying for these each time or is it just kind of like, like you're being headhunted? Literally, I'm being headhunted. I'm not joking. So the Kwajalein Atoll job came from, I had gone to like a job recruiting fair and I just randomly started talking to these like government contracting people and they emailed me and they were like, Hey, like, do you want this job? 
And my mom is like, where the fuck are you going? You're not going there. And I was like, watch me. (laughs) I had no idea where I was going. I like couldn't even find it on a map. There was no cars. There's no cell phone service. There's not even like a cell phone tower. So like communicating with these people is like on an email. So it's like, it granted that we're back. Like this had to have been 2013. So I started peaceful in 2014. So like 2013, like there's no cell tower. There's no cell communication. So my mom is like, you're going to fucking die. And I was like, that's fine. But I'm going to go out in style. <laughs> if it's my but time. They had hunted time. me. <laughs> exactly. They had hunted me. And then for Naval Health Clinic, New England, I had worked with an anesthesiologist recruiting who did a lot of my like recruitment um, interviews. Mm-hmm. And so him and I formed a great relationship. He would call when he had program questions, like even if it was for people like in other districts. Um, and I was always really good about finding the answer. And so he actually reached out. He was like, hey, I have this job um, at my clinic. You know, they're looking for somebody to fill it. Are you interested? And that's how I got it. So it was huh. like all headhunted. That's mm-hmm. super cool. I think it's funny because I feel like as time obviously goes on, right? Headhunting and word of mouth yeah. is like the only way to kind of get either where you want to go or where you didn't know that you needed to be, you know, a thousand percent. And again, it's all about just like being a kind human being. I just like, I'm a pretty friendly person at baseline. And it, I think that's really why that's really why I have gotten to where I have. Yeah. Were you uh, in those kind of conversations? Were you like actively like, Hey, I'm looking or was it like, Nope. Nope. Okay. Nope. I wasn't looking at all. That's like the funniest part about it. The best things come when you're not looking. Right. Okay. All right. I like that. It's good to know. Right. And kind of all the same, it's the same kind of questions that I'm asking, right? All around, like if somebody else finds themselves in a similar situation where they're talking to people that yeah. have the ability, what do you end up saying, right? Maybe it's nothing. Take every single something. opportunity. Take every single opportunity somebody offers you. Yep. I've taken every opportunity I've been offered, and I have literally it's changed my life. Has there been any that you've regretted? Nope. No. Zero. Because you learn a lesson. You learn a valuable lesson. Like I had a really shitty job out in Western Mass and as a general surgery PA and I hated it. I hated that job. But again, I learned so many valuable lessons. I learned more about medicine. You know what I mean? Like so even if it's a shitty situation or it's not the situation that like you wanted to find yourself in, just learn something from it. That's yeah. it. How about uh what has been the toughest lesson learned for you so far? Oh God. Because if that was a shitty job that you had to work, but you learned a lot about medicine, right? That's one way yeah. to look at it. Mm-hmm. I To not be emotional. The hardest thing for me to learn throughout my entire career, even to this day, is to not be emotional. You're never going to get any place by going home and crying yourself to sleep. Like, yes, there's a time and a place, right? But I used to, I remember I was in the Navy and I would cry about everything. Like you looked at me the wrong way and I would cry. And my department head at the time was like, you need to like man the fuck up and get your big girl panties on because nobody's going to respect you this way. And it took me forever to learn that. I mean, like I was still crying in Baghdad, like (laughs) trying to figure my life out. And it's the hardest lesson that I've had to learn is to, you need to remove emotion from it. You need to take each decision and be methodical instead of allowing emotions to overtake you. Maybe take 24 hours before you respond to something. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you just, your, your choice needs to be methodical. How did you come to, we'll say master that? Being alone on a four compound, on a four building compound in Baghdad, having nothing else to do, but self-reflect. That sounds horrible. No, it was awesome actually. But I worked with all men, all men. I was the only female on a 300 person compound. And if I cried, nobody respected me. They didn't respect me at baseline for being a female. Okay. Can we talk about that? I mean, are, okay. Sure. before we get to that, I mean, are we missing, yeah. are we missing anything that you, you feel is worth covering? No, 
Okay. So this yeah, is my something... civilian life is boring. Okay. All right. So this is something that I feel is important to kind of talk about. Right. And as a dude, it yeah. makes it hard to kind of talk about it or sound like an asshole, but like mm-hmm. as a female in the military or any other male dominated occupation, I can only yep. imagine that it's difficult, right? Are there difficulties mm-hmm. that you face that you are willing to talk about that you could also sure. kind of articulate how you overcame again to relate to somebody else? So I think my military experience and my contracting experience are vastly different. Okay. So um, in in the Navy, um, the medical community specifically is not significantly male dominated. Right. And I think that because I worked for a lot of the the medical community itself is very strange, right? Like it, I was telling this to somebody today, it constantly forces you to, to continue your education. So it's like, whose dick is bigger? Like it's constantly a big dick competition, right? So whether I was a female or a male, the physicians that I worked with probably wouldn't have liked me any differently. I hate to say it. They just didn't like me because I was a new junior officer. Like, and I thought I was hot shit. I thought as a clinician, I knew it all. And I didn't. So I don't think it had anything to do with being a female. I think it was just the environment that you were in. You know, it's medicine is toxic. Medicine has been toxic for a long time and it just progressively gets worse. As a contractor, I worked with a predominantly Iraqi staff. So my patients were Iraqi. They were not American. So it was cultural for them. So in their culture, they don't really view women as equal. Some of them do, you know, I mean, times are changing and a lot of them don't. And so for the initial, like, three to six months of my tour, I didn't have their respect. Right. And again, I had to like pull from my, my toolbox and say, okay, how am I going to earn their respect? And it was by learning about them. And as soon as I learned about them, they started to open up, you know, like, Hey, my dad has issues with X, Y, Z. My dad, you know, needs help with this. What do I do? Hey, I'm having headaches. You know, do you think I need to do something about this? And so they open up and it's just, if you make yourself available and listen to them, then they will respect you. Hmm. I am not, I'm not one of those people that like, you know, I think, I think the problem with our society and we're going to go down this road is that women want to say like, you know, oh, well, you hate me because I'm a woman. We'll just be, be tougher, like be tougher, work harder, be smarter and be better. And then you won't have to bitch about it. So it's like, I just, I wasn't going to take that as an excuse of why somebody doesn't like me. Like, don't like me because I suck at my job. Don't like me because I'm a shitty person, but I'm, it's, to me, it's not about my gender, right? It's about, you know. Maybe I have to earn it a little bit more, but at the end of the day, maybe that's just making, maybe it makes it more worth it. Yeah. That's an interesting way to think about it. Right. Cause I've chat with some folks that, you know, have had mm-hmm. to fight it. I've known some folks that have had to fight it, that feel the need to earn, but at yeah. the end of the day, right. It, and again, I can't say any of this without sounding like a dick. It really boils down to mm-hmm. how good you are at the function you serve. A thousand percent. And that's, and that is it. If you are fucking good, it doesn't matter if you're a blue alien, they will respect you. Like you just have to be good at your job. And that was the case for me. Like I was good at my job. You know, I'm very educated. And if I didn't know something, then I knew who to reach out to. So at the end of the day, it's just, it's all about how hard you work. Yeah. So in your um, both military and contracting time, then, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I think you mentioned that you were deployed to two different areas, correct? No, I was, I was deployed to the same place. Same Two place. tours to Baghdad. Two tours. Yep. Okay, same place. Okay. So in that time then, I mean, was there any particular experiences that you had that um, you're super thankful for that you kind of still rely on for experience and kind of like, or or function under pressure in your day job now? Every day of that job makes me function as a better human. My boss, um, hey, John, thanks for coming, <laughs> <laughs> uh, was a wonderful human. He taught me everything. He 
you know, he allowed me to be emotional and get upset about things, but he also forced me to learn a lesson. You know, he forced me to not, you know, bitch out on things, not like, oh, you're tired. You don't want to work out today. I don't fucking care. Do it. Oh, you don't want to study for your LSAT. Like too bad. Do it. So it was more like, you know, just man up, suck it up and man up. And so it's like, I constantly look back at those moments of times that like, I didn't want to do things or like, maybe I felt like I wasn't good enough. Here's an example. When I first got to Baghdad, I was chubby. Okay. I was like 30 pounds heavier and I was afraid to work out with the guys because I thought they were all going to judge me for like being fat, like not knowing what to do. And so like my bosses entertained that for like five seconds. And then they were like, no, no, no. Like everybody can come work out now. And so I just had to get used to the fact that like, okay, maybe I just need to become comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And so they genuinely forced me out of my comfort zone. So I think that's like a big part of it is that like, I didn't want to step outside of that box, right? Like I didn't want to do something that made me uncomfortable, but living in Baghdad (laughs) on a four building compound, like every ounce of that is uncomfortable. I hate to say it. Like, you know, you can't even buy feminine hygiene products for yourself. You can't do anything for yourself. Like anything that I need has to be conveyed to somebody else to get for me because I just don't have the opportunity. So it's like your entire life becomes uncomfortable at that point. So you just kind of get used to it. You just embrace it. Hmm. Okay. So I'm trying to think of another question that that is kind of in the same vein, right? Do you think do you think that at some point you could have pushed yourself beyond your own level of comfort or do you think that you would have no. kind of just no, you think that it really boiled down to I would have wilted away. Yeah, because I am I am innately a very emotional human being. Um I struggled a lot in the military which then like resulted in a lot of mental health issues and so I think that I sometimes tend to spiral out of control, like depression, anxiety, like we all do. Right. But I, I very much so struggle with it. And so I think that going to Baghdad was something that I don't even think the military would have ever thought I was capable of doing. And I think it was for me, like I had to prove myself, like I had to do this. Like, you know, I don't know. You're, you probably are the same way. You set these little wickets and you're like, okay, I'm going to do this. I got to accomplish this. And for me, like that was it. Like I had to accomplish this. I had to prove it to myself, to everybody who said I wasn't smart enough or capable enough or good enough to do this. Like I had to do this. I'm pretty competitive if you can't tell. So I think this experience, like I needed this to maybe level up to become a better human being. So no, I think I would have been this chronically emotional, poor me type of human being had I not done this or been given this opportunity. Interesting. So I can relate to that, but kind of thinking about a little bit more when you talk and and if you would need to change subjects, do it. No, no, no worries. Um, when you talk about the, the mental health, anxiety, the depression, right? All yeah. everybody feel these things. I know lately, and this is just the seasonal shit that's going on. It's been dark and gross down here. Right. Totally. I'm trying to think of how I want to ask this or exactly what it is. I'm trying to ask, do you think that, that, um, kind of going through the craziness of Baghdad so helped mm-hmm. you kind of level up to use kind of that phrase in a way that you don't necessarily experience the same extremes now? Does that question make sense? thousand percent. Okay. thousand percent. Because, you know, you can't do, and, you know, for anybody who's been deployed, you have no control over anything at home, right? Life at home happens whether you like it or not. Life goes on whether you like it or not, you know? And it's like you... I'm very much so like, I like to be in control of everything. I like to micromanage everything. And I think in return, when I can't do that, my anxiety goes out of fucking control. Mm -hmm. And so being in Baghdad, it was like chronically exercising that like lack of ability to be able to manage life around me. Like my friends were going out, my family was going out, like everything was happening, whether I liked it or not, you know? And I think like 
I basically had to be like, Jesus, take the wheel. Like I got to just not control anything anymore because I just didn't have the option to do it. You know? So it was just like a year of mindfulness of realizing I can't control everything in my life. I can relate to that very bad or like very well. Um, yeah. In, in that year and a half of mindfulness. Yeah. What was, is there, is there one thing that you learned? And I call, I, I refer to these as tools in my toolbox, right? Was there a tool in your toolbox that you found that works really well for you when your anxiety and micromanaging starts to run rampant? Ketamine. Really? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I did ketamine trials within like uh, the last six months, but yeah, no, there's nothing like, I hate to say it. Like, I think there's maybe lots of little tools in my toolbox that I could use, but there's nothing that stands out. You know, I hate to say it quite like going through ketamine trials. (laughs) (laughs) That's what did it. (laughs) That's what did it. I'm telling you. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So I feel like we've covered a fair bit of ground and I stopped taking notes because I was actively listening. Is there (laughs) anything that, that you're like, man, this is super important for me to share that I don't really ask a whole, or I never get asked about, or I never really kind of open up mm-hmm. to that. You're like, damn it, this would be a good time. No, I think like, I just hope people take home from this that like, it doesn't matter if you didn't have the best grades. It doesn't matter if like you struggled in life. It doesn't matter if you didn't, you know, great. If you grew up with nothing, right? Like you can be whatever you want as long as you work hard, anything that you do, anything that you want, anything you want to succeed at, It doesn't matter where you came from. Like you can 1000% do it. It doesn't matter if you're a female, a male, orange, purple, whatever color your skin is. Like it doesn't matter where you came from. Work hard, be who you say you are. People will respect you. And when people respect you, you can accomplish absolutely anything in life that you want. Okay. Okay. Now, is there anything that we skipped over? Because I feel like I want to be respectful of your time. And, yeah. and I feel like we covered it real quick, but really effectively. And I'm like sitting here like, this was a solid interview. <laughs> so, <laughs> I told you, I like don't really talk about this. No, it's, it's per- I loved it. So, I mean, I just want to make sure that I got, give you a good enough platform. So. Yeah, I think you did great. Again, it's like there, I think my life is pretty boring. My students, I teach anatomy actually. And my students are like, they find my Instagram and they're like, wow, you're so fucking cool. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm cool. I'm like the most boring person ever <laughs> it's kind of funny like i think i'm pretty boring <laughs> no it's funny i don't know i think it's funny because like you know you when you're young teaching or when you're teaching young kids right like yeah. they think you're the coolest thing but it's like just oh, you do. wait as soon as you get like your own car and your own life like you'll be your own cool version of yourself so so I have this one student who is amazing. She's 18 and all my students know she's my favorite. So you can air this as much as you want. And she is the most like well-developed 18 year old I've ever met. I've never met somebody like her. So when like one of the first few classes, she's like brilliant as all ever. And I'm like, girl, you got to go to med school. Like you are so smart. She's enrolled in the PT program. So like a couple of days later, she goes and she signs up for these pre-med classes. And so we're joking yesterday and I'm like, hey, if you ever become a physician, I am going to work for you because you are going to be one badass bitch. And I can't (laughs) wait to see where she goes in four, eight, you know, 10 years, because I think I'm going to look back at this moment and be like, I told you you could do it. And then I'm going to go work for her and be her number one cheerleader. <laughs> you're going to be a, you're going to be uh her counselor. I'm going to be her PA. Yeah. Like you were talking about. Fuck yeah. I'm going to, she told me she wasn't going to hire me, but I think her views will change down the road. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to keep you on your toes. <laughs> a thousand percent. I think she knows because I'd roast her the entire time. 
I'd be like, ooh, you did that wrong. <laughs> that's what good, I don't know, that's what you do to good bosses. I, like, regularly give my boss exactly. shit, so. Exactly, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, no, my kids think I'm cool, and I think I am the most boring person ever. <laughs> <laughs> Humility at its finest. Right, I cool. know. Well, Jess, thank you so much. We'll have to stay in touch. So if you have any more crazy wild me. stories, we'll get back together. Okay. So if I go with GSMSG to Africa over the next few months, I'll have plenty more. Perfect. Deal. I got you. <laughs> Bye. Awesome. I'll see you thank later. You. Jess, once again, thank you for taking the time to uh, sit down with me. I hope everybody listening took some uh, good information away. Otherwise, uh, please take a quick second to like, subscribe, and rate to the show. Otherwise, we will catch you next time.